0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work.
1: Welcome back to the Mile High Report radio podcast. Uh, Adam Alnati, Ian Sinclair. Uh, was, that, was that start too fast for you, Ian? Did you see it coming? Or, I mean, did you did you have time to see if you wanted to challenge that start? Or was did it just happen really fast and you didn't see it?
2: In the words of Vance Joseph, I didn't see it. I'll have to watch it tomorrow morning and still say I didn't see it. And it happened really fast. It was just really fast. Too fast. You plopped it out there and expected a to Ooh, that's Ooh, uh,
1: that's within the first minute of the recording here. I'm not sure if – if is that violated – I'm checking on the judges. No, judges are awarding a point. I guess Ian takes it. Uh, it's, it's more than Vance Joseph gets. Um, <laughs> you know, you you brought this up just before we started recording, and then it, it made me a little bit angrier than I was before. How is it that – You're welcome. I appreciate it. How is it that we are – uh, sitting here, what are we, uh, week 15 now? Is that is that where we are? I can't even count this high. And Vance Joseph still doesn't know when it is time to challenge and when it is not time to challenge. How is it that a head coach in the National Football League with millions and millions of dollars at their disposal to hire people to do these jobs, to, to have somebody ready and willing and able to look at these replays and make decisions – how is it possible that he is incapable of making the correct decision on these challenges? Because he's he's terrible at it. What was the number you gave me before we started? 1 for 7 this season. This is bad. I mean there's the only word to use there is bad. I mean you can get all hyperbolic if you want to, but the truth is it's just bad. And so who does who gets fired here? Right? Who does he hold hold accountable? He held everybody else accountable this week in his pressers, right? Von Miller held accountable. And and you know how I felt about the Von Miller stuff. He held Case Keenum accountable. Didn't didn't let her rip, as you would as you might say. But when it comes to a challenge like that, we didn't see it. It happened really fast. That's it? That's what you got for me, Vance? Whose fault is that? Who are you gonna fire? Who are you gonna hold accountable? Because you're one for seven, dude.
2: You're one for seven. He's got to hold somebody accountable. And if it's not going to be himself, which he doesn't do, it needs to be his video coordinator. Because you cannot be one for seven on challenges and then call out Von Miller for doing what it is that he does better than anybody in the National Football League, and that's timing the snap. He did it on three occasions – that's inexcusable. Cannot happen. Once, okay. Twice. You got to stop it. Three times. As you said, that that's just getting to the point where it's beyond stupid. But I will take Von Miller's success rate over Vance Joseph's success rate. Challenging calls at this point every day of the week because. As I said on the post-game recap, and I tweeted on Sunday when he decides not to challenge the Tim Patrick catch, which everyone knows is a catch, and then decides to challenge what he thinks is a fumble or an incompletion, but it is a catch. So as I tweeted, Vance Joseph's approach on challenges. If it's obvious to challenge, he doesn't. If it's obvious he shouldn't, He does. The play calling, situational football, and time management that Joseph and his staff have for the Broncos is just brutal. And it's inexcusable because it's the same crap that we saw last season. And it's showing that he hasn't learned, he hasn't grown, he hasn't evolved. He's doing the same Crap!
1: Yeah, you know what? What gets me is that I I I talked about that three-game winning streak as being like a mirage in my article, and I, you know, I was. um, We talked about the drinking of the sand, and I think the other thing that that three-game sort of that three-game sort of smokescreen did was it sort of caused a lot of people to forget about. The issues that Vance Joseph has in those areas that you just mentioned, and not
2: yeah, me. Well, because I got I got called out for it with the Pittsburgh game. Yes, you did. And the Chargers game because I I I listed him as a loser after the Chargers game, and actually no, I didn't. So I, I have I, that's what I said on Sunday too. I didn't list him at all in the winners or losers in the Chargers game. Right, that's what it was. And then I listed him as a loser in the Pittsburgh game, which led to me writing the sort of mea culpa about how he can also be responsible for the two-game winning streak. And then I listed him as a winner against the Bengals because that's a three-game winning streak. But it was the same stuff even over the course of that three-game winning streak as you were talking about that people seem to to put on the back burner a little bit just because they were winning. So sorry to interrupt, you can get no, back to your you, I, to the you, point you were making.
1: You make a perfect point there because or, or you sort of help make my point for me. This idea that, you know, we had this three-game winning streak and as fans, we get excited and as well we should. We we have a right to get excited. That's why we're fans. But winning is the perfect cure, right? Winning is the cure-all for all problems. You can be Uh, the worst head coach in the world. But if you've got enough talent on the team that the team goes out and wins games and wins enough games, that masks your inability to do your job because you're winning games. So who cares? And I think that's the direction that Broncos country started to head in, right? You get to that point where you're going, you know, three games in a row in the NFL is that's tough to do. And I, I elite teams win a lot of games in a row and that's fine. The Broncos had struggled. They, you know, they came out of that bye and it was like the, the end of the world for Broncos country fans were done. There was no shot at the playoffs. And then we had what I would call three really fun weeks of football. And those three fun weeks of football masked all of the issues that Vance Joseph still has as a head coach in the NFL. And I get it and I know you know there are people out there that that listen and read the articles and they get tired of all the Vance Joseph stuff but the truth is he's he is first and foremost when it comes to what are the problems with this franchise and there are people out there that are going to want to argue in all kinds of different directions about you can talk about the quarterback being a problem the GM being a problem the offensive line being an issue there's there are a lot of issues on this team and they were masked by the winning that took place for 3 weeks we didn't talk about it we were happy you know we were fat and happy and then you lose a game like that to the San Francisco 49ers the 2 and 10 at the time San Francisco 49ers the team that is likely to have the first pick in the draft San Francisco 49ers and you you have to come back down or you have to come to reality and there has to be a come to Jesus moment And the Broncos didn't have one. They lost, and then that was it. And there was no accountability. John Elway didn't come out and say Vance Joseph made huge mistakes and he's gone or or anything like that. There was no reprimand of any coaches for any of the problems. Bill Musgrave is still the offensive coordinator. We still have Joe Woods as the defensive coordinator, guys who clearly did not put together good game plans against a 2-10 and ten football team. And Von Miller gets called out for his mistakes. Case Keenum gets called out for his mistakes. But the video guy's still there and Vance Joseph's still there. Who's, who's to blame? Am, are you going to blame Von Miller for this loss? I'm not. And I went off on Von Miller after the game, saying that those three offsides penalties were stupidity, because they were. But somebody higher up has to be held. This falls at the feet of somebody who makes decisions. And right now that person is the head coach, and that's Vance Joseph. And, it, and it's infuriating to sit here and to think that there are people out there that still want to give him a chance. And, and it, I'm even more upset about it because after three weeks I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm on that side but that that San Francisco 49ers game was a slap in the face it was it was I, I was the woman in the plane and airplane I was being shaken and then slapped and shaken and slapped and everyone was taking their turns and all everyone who was taking their turn played for the 49ers and they were all George Kittle it was it was a bad dream it was a really weird dream
2: I think what this highlights is what some have said and I've said it When the Broncos win, it's despite Vance Joseph and the coaching staff because they're doing the same things. They're putting together the same incompetent game plans. They're putting forth the same game plans that don't work, but the players are able to overcome it. And they did that those three games. Because remember, against the Pittsburgh game, Vance Joseph gave a glorious opportunity to Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers because of that ridiculous fake field goal that turned into a touchdown at the end of the first half. He should have called a timeout. He only had 10 guys on the field. At the very least, Tom McMahon needs to recognize, I only have 10 guys on the field. Let's take a timeout. They didn't do that. That could have completely come back and bite them in the ass, if not for Will Parks' huge, fluky, fluky. And lucky yep. play It was a great play, but it was fluky and it was lucky. The Broncos won those three games despite Vance Joseph and that coaching staff. They weren't able to overcome the coaching staff against the 49ers or against the Texans or against the Jets or against the Ravens. Or against the Dolphins last year. Or against the Giants. Bills. And that leads to what I wanted to focus on with this game against Cleveland. Because Vance Joseph has a knack for making history. Just not good history. It's actually really, 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 really bad history. Because if you remember, the Broncos lost seven straight games in 2017. You remember the last time the Broncos did that as an organization? I'm going to guess that I was not alive and I'm old. You weren't alive. Our parents were actually relatively young the last time it happened.
1: The, the old man was not an old man yet.
2: The last time the Broncos lost seven straight games in a season prior to the 2017 season was 50 years ago in 1967. Oh, well, The old man had a full head of hair back then. So that leads to this week against the Browns. The Browns and Broncos have played 25 times in the regular season. Okay. So that doesn't include the back-to-back AFC championship games in 86 and 87. The first game was played in December of 1970 at then Bear Stadium. So over the course of that time, the Broncos are 20-5 and against the Cleveland Browns. Wow. The last time the Browns beat the Broncos was in October of 1990. So that was when they were still the real Browns before they moved to Baltimore. And then the NFL had to recreate the Browns. So that was when they were still the Browns in 1990. That was the last time the Cleveland Browns beat the Denver Broncos.
1: I was just trying. I was literally just trying to remember if the old man had hair in 1990. He's gonna love these hair references. Uh, I think it. I think it was gone by then. I'll have to. I'll have to go back and. I'm sure he'll let me know. I'm sure he will let me know. Uh, I. So so what you're saying, and if I, if I'm reading this correctly, and I'd like to think that I am, what you're saying is Vance Joseph, who has a knack for making history horrible history. Uh, Vance Joseph is more likely to lose this game than to win this game because it would make history for the Broncos.
2: Right, oh. he would join Dan Reeves as the last coach to lose to the Cleveland Browns. That's Which, not good. If that happens, if that happens, the Broncos will be six and eight with two games left against the Oakland Raiders and the Los Angeles Chargers. So they would have to win one of those remaining two games to avoid making awful history again. That history being being the first team in 45 years to lose back-to-back losing seasons for the Denver Broncos. The last time it happened was 1971-1972. And over the course of that 1971 season, so when they lost back to back losing seasons, the Broncos went through three coaches. Lou Saban, Jerry Smith, John Ralston. Vance Joseph would become the fourth head coach. But to get to to go off on a, a real tangent into a rabbit hole, when you look at the at the history for the Broncos, right. what's interesting about that? The Broncos were founded in 1960. Mm-hmm. Up until 1972, they hadn't had a winning season. They did have one season where they went 7-7. Seven and seven, Right. But they never had a winning season. That didn't happen until 1973 when they went 7-5-2. and two. Think about that. Thirteen years for the Broncos to get their first winning season.
1: That's a long time. That's a long time to work to put together something that can finally win a game, or finally, you know, finally win enough games to have a winning season.
2: It feels like thirteen seasons with Vance Joseph as the head coach. It really does, doesn't it? I mean, so it's interesting you say that. All that, all that, all that is just to point out is Vance Joseph has a knack for making horrible history. And if history repeats itself, history will be made again on Saturday Night Football.
1: You know, and the worst part about that, it's interesting you point all that out. Vance Joseph has a chance to make horrible history multiple times this year. And in the next few weeks... I, I mean, you could see some of those things happening that haven't happened in so many years, and I, it's just insane. I, I guess the question, though, and maybe this is a question for another time, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Even though it would be disappointing to lose that sort of uh, that streak of non back to back losing seasons, is it really that important? Or is it more important than you know where they would pick in the draft, or are we so far past? like draft pick status like does it that it matters so little now that it's it's just better to go 8 and 8 or 9 and 7 just just to feel good about ourselves versus going 7 and 9 and getting what an extra one or two picks up in the draft like are are those really going to matter
2: I think it's to whatever it takes to get rid of Vance Joseph that's saying Whatever a lot. Ensures that happens.
1: Yeah, that's saying a lot to to sort of say, "Hey, I'll take the back to back losing seasons if it means Vance Joseph says goodbye."
2: Because I, I mean, I totally get wanting the rookies to learn how to win, but as long as Vance Joseph and this coaching staff is around, they're not going to learn how to win.
1: Yeah, I, I I have to agree with that. That is, for sure, for sure. As they, as they say nowadays, do they say that still? Oh, <sighs> all right. Well, it's it says in one of the gifts yeah. that I constantly see on the Twitter. I, I see it all the time. Yeah. It's the, uh, it's, it's from, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, you know, the, the show on comedy central. That's not on comedy central anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's what it doesn't matter. I'm too old. I am. I'm too old, but at least I still have my hair. Um, no, <laughs> another, another shot at the old man there. Sorry. Um, well, let's get, let's get back to this game, right? We've got, we're sort of talking about it here. So, so let's talk about the keys to the game. Let's go ahead and, and, and get into it. Let's do some game analysis and, and make sure that we're, we're covering our bases. What is your key to the game here?
2: My key to the game is Case Keenum to the letter Rip. And just stop playing like he's trying not to lose. I mean, because that really is similar to the prevent defense. It prevents your team from winning when your quarterback plays that way. It's obvious Keenum doesn't want to turn the ball over. That doesn't mean you stop taking shots down the field. Let it rip when the opportunity presents itself, test the Cleveland defense, allow Cortland Sutton to make plays given he's shown in similar situations He'll either come down with the ball or get a pass interference call. Don't limit what your offense can do because you're scared You might turn the ball over.
1: Scurred. Open it
2: up and let it rip. Yeah, I agree. Um,
1: my key to the game is is about the defense, and, and it's about our friend Bradley Chubb. Um, the NFL has billed this as almost like a futures game. Uh, you, you mentioned Cortland Sutton. It's one of the rookies that they're going to talk about, I'm sure, and, and want to feature. Um, obviously, Phillip Lindsey is going to take center stage a little bit. Uh, but I, I think the matchup that you're going to see that, that everybody wants to see or that everybody's hoping for, and, and th- this is going to be, in my opinion, the most interesting, is Bradley Chubb versus Baker Mayfield. Right? Chubb getting after the quarterback, uh, Mayfield trying to get away, Mayfield creating plays. And this is this is being billed as this is the future of the NFL. You're gonna be watching the future of the NFL on a Saturday night. They've put it in prime time. They are they are making this a game that they want people to watch and they want to be able to say, This is this is the future right here. This is the future is now. Come and watch it. And the the my key to the game is can Bradley Chubb have an impact can he get a sack can he get in can can chub get in baker's face right and can i see what you did there yeah thank you and and can chub stop chub for for that matter because there's another chub that we have to talk about here there's two chubs and uh you know can can bradley chub help out in in run defense and stop nick chub uh i like the way you called it will there be some chub on chub crime um Th- this I think is, we're
2: gonna see a sword fight. We might see a sword Oracle fight. <laughs> we, we might
1: see a sword fight. Uh, and you know, here's hoping that uh that Bradley Chubb comes out on top. Um we'll see what happens. But I think the key to the game for me is can the can the defensive line, can can, you know, can Bradley Chubb and Von Miller and Shelby Harris and Gotsis and and uh, you know, and Derek Wolf, if he plays, I know he's still in concussion protocol, so he may not be playing, but can the defensive line, uh, get to the quarterback? Can they affect the game in that way? And, and if they can, I think if you can harass a rookie quarterback that leads to turnovers, uh, and that will help this very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, for the secondary depleted, not uh, very good, not good, awful, horrible, no good, very bad secondary. Um, and so the defensive line is going to have to step up to help out with that. And so a little, a little, you know, Chubb Mayfield uh, battle, some Chub on Chubb crime. I think those would be some fun things to watch. And so I think that's the key to the game right there.
2: It's never fun to watch Chubb on Chub crime.
1: <laughs> oh, no. So. Uh, I, I think, honestly, that probably takes care of my players to watch as well, right? That's my; Those are my defensive players to watch. Uh, the You know, Chubb, Chubb's my defensive player to watch. So I'm just going to go ahead and I, I will bow out on the defensive player to watch because you've got mine. It's it's Bradley Chubb. You got one for me? Vaughn Miller.
2: I, I mean, he was quite explicitly called out by his head coach. So the face of the organization is going to want to prove a point. And what's interesting about all of this is that he's still producing. He only needs half a sack to pass Simon Fletcher for the most sacks, regular season and postseason, in franchise history. Wow. He also needs a half a sack to pass Simon Fletcher, tie Simon Fletcher, rather, for the most regular season sacks in franchise history. So if he gets one sack, he will become the all time franchise leader in sacks for the Denver Broncos. That's, I mean, that's... if he gets one sack, he will move into 38th into a tie from 38th. Sorry. If he, he needs one sack to move from 38th into a tie from to, for 33rd with Joey Porter on the NFL's all-time sack list. Wow.
1: Von Miller, everybody. Look at that. I, I think he gets it. I mean, you know, that makes sense. And and Bradley Chubb is is sort of marching towards that rookie sack record as well, hoping that he can average at least a sack a game for the rest of the season. He should end up with the rookie sack record. Von Miller becomes the franchise sack leader. I, I, I like where that's going. That, to me, is that – see, that's a future is bright kind of moment, right? That's That's a – Look how happy we are when we talk about that. So let's just try not to talk about the other stuff, and then we'll be happier. We'll try and be happy,
2: and that highlights why people need to get that Orange Rush hoodie because the Orange Rush is alive and well at the moment.
1: And then snag that, uh, snag that pitball pitbull t-shirt. I know you know that's a that's a good one. That's uh you get that for what was it? Was it was it 50% off? Is that still going on? I might be I might be off on my promotions.
2: If you use hoodie half when you buy the orange rush hoodie, you get 50% off one more item.
1: Boom, there it is. And that actually leads me to my offensive player to watch and I'm going to stick with the rookies and I'm going to cheat, but it's not really cheating. My offensive rookie to rookie player to watch is Philip Lindsay. And it's Philip Lindsay because of what happened to him against San Francisco. The way that he was bottled up, the way that he was, uh, you know, he was sort of taken out of the offense, right? He was ineffective in San Francisco. I want to see if there's some carry over there or if, if the Broncos are able to adjust uh, and, and make him – give him more space. Uh, and then can he sort of have Im- an impact on the game again because he was – Yes, he got the touchdown against San Francisco, but aside from that, they really had his number and were were able to sort of contain him to the tune of what was it? Was it twelve yards? Is that? Am I off on that a little bit? And if the Broncos want to win, if they want to be successful, Philip Lindsay has to have a better game. So he is uh, my player to watch on the offensive side.
2: Which brings up some stats to look for from Philip Lindsay on Saturday. He needs 33 rushing yards to reach 1,000 yards for the season. That would make him just the third undrafted rookie to ever reach that mark. Dominic Rhodes in 2001, LeGarrette Blunt in 2010. And he would become just the sixth Broncos rookie to reach that mark and the first since Clinton Portis in 2002.
1: Wow. Oh, Clinton Portis, man. That guy was good. He... He had one of the one of the greatest games a running back has ever had against Kansas City. I mean, that's that's a name right there. Just to kind of just a little little small tangent, little side, Clinton Portis was really a fantastic running back. And and the reason we had Champ Bailey for so long. So you got to love Clinton Portis, right?
2: Absolutely. My player to watch is obviously Case Keenum because of what I said. He he needs to stop playing scared, play to win the game, stop playing it not to lose. I mean, that doesn't mean that you chuck and pray like Joe Flacco 95% of the time, but when the opportunity is there, go deep because Cortland Sutton has proven he can do it. So do it. And that leads to another stat to look for. And it is from Cortland Sutton with Cortland Sutton. He needs 58 receiving yards to tie Ricky Nathiel in 1987 for the fourth most receiving yards, 630, by a Broncos rookie. Huh. Didn't Ricky Nathiel
1: score the fastest touchdown in Super Bowl history in his rookie year? I don't remember. Come on. You can forget the rest of that game, but that was an incredible play. Was, it was an incredible first quarter. It was an awesome first quarter, and then I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> we, watched, we watched that one. That one we did not go see the Bear, and I will not be making any weird predictions now uh, based off of any strange Super Bowl scores or whatever. Um, but,
2: yeah. I he There's did, one more stat to look for. Give it to me. Versus the Browns. The Broncos currently sit at 499 overall wins. They would become the 14th team to reach 500 overall wins with a win on Saturday. You know, beating the Browns
1: for the 500th win would be fitting because two of the biggest victories in franchise history, and they've obviously been, you know, maybe knocked down a little bit since there are now three Super Bowl wins, but two of the biggest wins are obviously the drive and the fumble Both against the Browns. So getting number 500, the only thing that would make it more fitting is if uh, Marty Schottenheimer was on the sidelines not really understanding what the heck was going on.
2: That brings up an interesting point because we talked about it before the Pittsburgh Steelers game, how the Steelers are never really mentioned as a rival for the Broncos. Right. Can the same be said about the Cleveland Browns?
1: No. No. No, I think I think if you want it, if you want to be a rival, you can't be, you, you can't ha- you can't be. What is it? Five and twenty, aren't the Browns five and twenty against the Broncos? If if what yes. you said is right, I mean, so uh, I think that the the Browns are an important team in Broncos history, right? That that particular franchise has um, a, a special place in our hearts. Um, I love the fact that my sister-in-law is from Ohio and a Cleveland Browns fan because I can make fun of her. And as much as she hates John Elway, she knows deep down in her heart that he's the greatest quarterback in the history of the game and, and has, and sort of ruined her, you know, ruined her fandom because uh, he was able to do what he did to the Browns. And, and so that's kind of fun. She probably won't enjoy listening to this part, but that's, that's all right. Um, but I, I wouldn't call him a rival. You know, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, the Broncos had to beat the Steelers to get things done. The Steelers beat the Broncos. The Broncos beat the Steelers. There's some back and forth there. I think you could talk about them as a rival. There is no back and forth here. This is just the Broncos generally beating the Browns. And beating them in the games that matter. Right. But beating them. there, There isn't, you know, like when you talk about the Yankees and the Red Sox, Duke, North Carolina, um... You know Ohio State, Michigan. Ohio State, Michigan, thank you. you. those are those are games, well, except for recently for Ohio State and Michigan, where the winners go back and forth. Right? You you don't have like one team that just dominates for ever. The the wins go back and forth. Even when the like if you go if you want to talk about Yankees, Red Sox, even when the Red Sox were mired in their um their wonderful uh World Series drought, which I enjoyed as a Yankee fan they were able to beat the Yankees at times and they were able to eliminate them from the playoffs and and do certain, you know, do things like that. And they had those back and forths, even though they weren't winning world series, you don't get that with the Browns and the Broncos. It's just the Broncos winning.
2: I totally agree with that.
1: But it's a good question. I do. I do like the question. So do you have a, you have a score prediction
2: I'm actually looking up the score of the 1987 AFC Championship game. All right, you, while you're looking that up,
1: I'm going to give you my score prediction. I'm actually going to go uh, with a fairly high-scoring game. I think there's going to be a lot more offense. Um primetime Saturday night. I just feel like there. There feels like there's. It feels like there's going to be a lot of offense in the air. I think that this maybe even gets into. Uh, a last-second field goal situation or a, a field goal in overtime. And unfortunately, I am predicting a, a Cleveland Browns victory 31-28. Ugh, I didn't like saying that at all. But that's where I'm going. 31-28 Cleveland, but I think it's close. And just for some, some other predictions, I think Von Miller and Bradley Chubb each get a sack
2: in the game. So the score of the 1988 AFC Championship game at Mile High Stadium on, John, on January 17th, final score was 38-33. Ooh. You had a 55-10 to prediction yes, I did. last Sunday against the 49ers. Yes, I did. I'm going to say the Cleveland Browns beat the Denver Broncos 38-33. Ooh. I won't say that they went in on a fumble, but they do win 38-33. Wow. Okay. These predictions are
1: far less fun, right? Would you agree? This this was not as much fun doing these predictions as last week when we were we were having so much fun and we were gonna, oh,
2: man, As long know. as it means Vance Joseph is no longer the head coach, that's a lot of fun.
1: I mean, you got to find the silver lining, right? You got to find the silver lining. You got to look for the positives. So okay, there's our there's our Broncos stuff. Let's let's look let's go around the league though, just for fun. What games are you looking for this week? What what games are you looking forward to?
2: Obviously, the, the final Thursday night game of the NFL season with the Chargers going to Kansas City. It doesn't look like the Chargers will have a healthy running back because both Gordon and Eckler are out or potentially could be out. Tyree Kill could be out for the Chiefs. So it, it'll be interesting to see if the Chargers can continue to play as well as they have the last couple of weeks after, ironically, the loss to the Broncos. Right. And can Kansas City continue to to build off of the win, the big win they had over Baltimore in overtime? Um, I, I think some of the other games that stand out to me Obviously, the Patriots and the Steelers, the Eagles and the Rams. A lot of people thought that could potentially be an NFC Championship game preview. So hmm. I, those are the games I'm looking. Sure, you got I'm Bears Packers this week too. Fun.
1: If you're if you're an old Bear school, to... old school fan, you you know you're looking forward to Bears Packers, and with uh with with the Bears, you're looking at a team that's. That I mean, they want to beat the Packers to show that they're to kind of take over the NFC North, right? That's kind of – if they beat the Packers, that sort of solidifies them as the NFC North team to beat this late in the season. I mean, they're heading to the playoffs. This would be a a big-time win for them. It would be a big statement win for them. And then on the flip side of that, Aaron Rodgers – Aaron Rodgers doesn't lose to the Bears. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see are the Packers – after firing Mike McCarthy and and getting a win and you know last week, can they build on that and can they maybe string some wings so string some wins together? Uh, I'd love to string some wings together as well. I do love chicken wings; they're delicious. Um, can they string some wins together at the end of the season here? It's uh, it's interesting. Those that that's a game that I'm interested in, and it's one that's on that I don't have to stream, so it'll be fun.
2: You the fact that you mentioned the bears brings up a, a big point in terms of the NFC mm-hmm. because their win over the Rams. Huge. gives home field advantage back to the saints.
1: Yeah. It's huge.
2: And now that the, the Rams host the Philadelphia Eagles who just lost to the Cowboys, they're going to be fired up. You know, Doug Peterson's going to want to to prove that he's just as much of a coaching guru as Sean McVay. And the Saints got back on track against Tampa Bay, and I I, I think you're going to start to see them click now that they're they're going to be on the road on Monday night against the Carolina Panthers. So I it, it's set up now for the for the Saints to have home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs. And as, as I've said, and I think you agree, no one is going into the Superdome and beating the saints.
1: No, I don't think so. I had the only, uh, yeah. what's,
2: what's interesting. I think that the, the one team that could do it is the bears because of that defense.
1: Right. Yeah. I, and you know, the other team that maybe you don't, um you don't want to sleep on is the Cowboys because uh, ever since they got Amari Cooper, they have really been clicking on offense and, um, you know, I think they're going to I think they're going to handle the Colts. I think the Colts are still not quite there. I, I, I Andrew Luck has been playing well this season and and you can see he's obviously kind of back, but I don't think that they're back as a as a franchise yet. I think they still have a lot of holes and I think the Cowboys are probably going to going to handle the Colts just fine even though it's in Indianapolis. And it's interesting that we're talking about the Cowboys and we're talking about the Bears because the the Oakland Raiders have had a huge impact on the NFC this season just in giving away players that are, that, that are having a major impact with their teams and Khalil Mack to the Bears and Amari Cooper to the Cowboys.
2: There's one other game that could have a direct impact on the Broncos, and that's the Ravens hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. How will the Ravens respond to that Crushing loss. I mean, we thought that it was a crushing loss for the Broncos to the 49ers. The Ravens had that game. They should have won. Against the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. And they had Kansas City backed up on fourth down and Patrick Mahomes, John Elway impression. Yeah. And wills the Chiefs to a win. How do the Ravens respond? Do they, do they continue to to battle and, and play for, for Coach Harbaugh and for the playoffs because they're still very much in the playoff race with the Steelers losing to the Raiders. You want another interesting stat. The Pittsburgh Steelers haven't won in Oakland since 1995. Is that's is,
1: that's insane. Really? As bad as the Raiders have been?
2: They've been so bad. That, surpri- that surprises me. That surprises so, me. So the Ravens still have a lot to play, they're still very much in the playoff hunt and they could still potentially win the AFC uh, the AFC north. How right. do they respond? Because if they don't make the playoffs and they 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 squander the spot they're in and have been in, you'd have to think that Harbaugh is going to be out in Baltimore and he's who a lot of Broncos fans, me included, would like to be the next head coach of the Denver Broncos. Sure.
1: Yeah, I would be. I would be ecstatic to have have Harbaugh here uh, as the head coach. John Harbaugh's a he's he's the that um, I don't want to compare him to John Fox. That's not fair. But the whole point of bringing John Fox in was to stabilize the franchise. That would be the same thing you're doing with John Harbaugh uh, as well. So I, I could see that. You know, it's interesting. We talk about the Ravens. We're talking about the Steelers. We're you know we're talking about all these teams. You know the truth is and I think it's it's we do have to mention it mathematically speaking while they still need a ton of help the Broncos are not eliminated from the playoffs just yet. I think you and I are in agreement here that it's it's highly unlikely that the Denver Broncos make the playoffs. But if they win against the Browns and things break their direction they still could backdoor their way into the playoffs and and possibly win a playoff game uh dependent on who they play. So uh, you know, I know I'm predicting a, a loss to the Cleveland Browns. I think I'm I'm you know, perhaps making that that pick out of just total disgust with what happened against the 49ers, but if they were to win and things fall their direction, they still have a shot at the playoffs. They still have a shot to to get in and and if they get in, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, I think we probably know, but that's not I don't want to talk about that. Um, but I, and, and honestly, I don't even know the scenario. I don't even know what I'm looking at the schedule. I don't even know what they need to get into the playoffs. They need to win out and they need help.
2: A lot of help. A lot of help. I think like the Dolphins, I think the Dolphins, I think the Steelers and the Ravens both need to lose twice. I think the Dolphins need to lose twice. The Colts and the Titans need to at least lose. I think the percentage for the Broncos to get into the playoffs, the last I looked was 5%. Oof. So, but even if they – okay, let, let, let's play this out. Even if they were to get in, they'd obviously be the sixth seed. Yes, they would. They would go to Houston. Uh-huh. They played Houston tough. They will get blown out if they go to Houston. They, they play, will get blown out. They played Houston, Houston tough. I, JJ I don't know. Watt and Jadavion Clowney will blow that game up. Yeah, I, I mean – it will not be close. Yeah, that's true. And and you have Demarius Thomas. On the other
1: sideline? Well, we, they already experienced Demarius Thomas on the other sideline. He would have made like three catches in the first quarter, and then he was gone. I, you know, Demary, that Demarius Thomas trade to Houston hasn't really bared that much fruit for them, I don't think, um, which which I don't understand. I, I still have a, a high opinion of Demarius Thomas. I just think that he's not in an offense that really benefits him or, or that he's really going to have an impact on Um I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. I think they would play the Houston Texans more than likely, and they would really struggle to win that game, especially with the the problems on the offensive line. And I think that those problems were really sort of brought to the forefront against San Francisco because they went from really being very, very good for three games to kind of reverting back to what we really thought they were going to be after all of the injuries. So, It's it's hard to predict this Broncos team this year. Am I right? Like it feels like they're up and down. They're up and down. They're up and down. It's it's a roller coaster. And I I made that reference at the end. You know, after the game on Sunday, it's a roller coaster. And it's it's hard to sit on a roller coaster for this long. Eventually, you're gonna vomit.
2: And it goes back to what we said at the beginning of the podcast. The way the Broncos are going to win this game is if the players overcome the coaching, because that's how they won those three games. They're going to have to put on their chin straps and buckle up because they're going to have to carry the, this coaching staff. Because if the Bronco, when the Broncos win, it's despite Vance Joseph and this coaching staff, and it's the same is going to be true on Saturday against the Baker Mayfield and the Browns.
1: But it's still the Browns. You've been listening to Mile High
0: Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or...